0: I'm at that stage in my life now that I really want to leave footprints behind uh, about what it really costs uh, to be who you are and, and, and how to survive, questions that people don't see because they see you only through the window of how they understand you to be. But life is much bigger than 30 minutes on television or an hour on television. Life is much bigger than eight hours on a job. And sometimes we make assumptions about people we work with or live next door to or we see on TV that are not correct assumptions about what their whole life is like.
1: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guests today find solace in the scripture from Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Pastor and author Bishop T.D. Jakes and worship leader Don Moen. Up first is T.D. Jakes, author, film producer, and senior pastor at The Potter's House Church in Dallas, Texas. Bishop Jakes has seen his ministry soar to great heights, speaking in front of thousands and touching many more lives through his various ministries. Yet, through some of his most successful days, Bishop Jakes has experienced what he calls life's crushing moments, and his status as a well-known minister has not kept him immune from pain and despair. With compassion and understanding, Bishop Jakes relates his own experience of being crushed and helps us reconcile difficult times with God's promise that He will work all things together for our good.
0: My name is uh, T.D. Jakes, uh, Thomas Dexter Jakes. I'm the senior pastor of the Potter's House. I'm a film producer and author and uh, entrepreneur. People often make that mistake of thinking that because a person is on television or because they are successful or because they are young or because they are beautiful or whatever the because is, that that they are exempt from pain. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that we don't suffer. In my own life, lots of crushings and crushing moments and times that uh, I thought I wasn't going to make it and, uh, and and parts of me didn't make it so that other parts of me couldn't make it. And and so I wrote to people who are dealing with pressure or have dealt with pressure or are stuck in a crushing moment in their life, uh, how to survive the crushings that are inherent with just being a human being. Crushing in its purest form is when external pressures uh, become so strong that they begin to make indentations and pressures on the object that is the recipient of that pressure. It really deals with pressure in all of its forms. My father got sick when I was 10 and and, uh, suffered renal failure. His blood pressure went up to 290 over 280. Uh, His kidneys collapsed and I grew up with kidney machines and in hospitals most of my life. He died when I was 16 years old. That was the big crushing of my childhood the passing of my mother much later in my life, who died of Alzheimer's while my ministry was exploding. My mother was was failing. And so my church was going up and my mother was going down at the same time. And I was being crushed in between the demands of both. She ultimately died in my arms. Uh, my mother-in-law preceded her in death. Uh, my daughter got pregnant as a teenager. Uh, all of that was happening at the height of my ministry. <laughs> and so those were very strong crushing moments in my life and uh, made me want to write to other people who are going through different types of crushings in their lives and and maybe to be able to shed some insight about those moments and how to survive them. The whole book is inspired from uh, looking at Jesus at the Passover, lifting up the cup, to say the New Testament was in his blood. I realized that the experiences of the grapes that made the wine were the experiences that he was about to confront. That the grape is raised to be crushed, and Christ was born to die, and that the grape was raised to be crushed so that it might enter into the state of becoming wine, and Christ was born to die so that he might be raised from the dead and and be our uh, ever living Savior. The cross itself was a horrific uh, emblem of suffering and shame. And it was not something that Jesus enjoyed. The Bible said he despised the shame of it, but for the joy that was set before it, he endured the suffering of the cross. And so many times in life, while we're going through it, it's hard to remain upbeat. And so it wasn't something that he enjoyed. And yet at the end of the day, when all was said and done, um, it worked together for, for our good, and it worked together to reveal who he really was when he proved himself to be Lord over death, hell, and the grave. Let's work on that verse a little bit. It says all things work together for the good. It doesn't say that all things are good. It said they work together for good. And uh, so that means that there may be some things that are bad that still work together for good. Uh, A good illustration of that is if you've ever tasted baking powder by itself, it tastes horrific, but if it work, if you work it in with the other ingredients, it has a purpose. And I think that's what the text is really saying, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, your purpose is often uh, directed by negative things that push you uh, to be who you become. To tell yourself that you don't have enough faith is to be like Job's friends must be something that you did or who saying the mother or the father that the child should be like this. People say little things trying to be helpful that are really quite damaging to people who have been crushed. You have to be gentle with people that are hurting. You have to be empathetic. There's nothing worse than having somebody snatch you out of bed the, the, the day after surgery or be, be in, inconsiderate to your pain and your suffering. People who are effective with working with hurting people are effective because they respect the other person's pain and they're gentle in what they say and do to make them better. That's why we need ministry. That's why we have uh, worship music and playing that sort of thing. We have uh, tapes we can listen to. We need devotionals of all types because sometimes when we have been raised in the faith or raised around the faith, we assume that everybody knows how to be devout. When in reality, sometimes people don't know how to pray. Sometimes people don't know how to get close to God. And to have some guidance and direction, whether it's in print or uh, in a book form or audio, anything that will help you to learn how to be more successful at things that other people take for granted is very, very important. Uh, This is a passage from Jesus Calling for March 19th. I speak to you from the depths of your being hear me saying soothing words of peace, assuring you of my love. Do not listen to voices of accusation, for they are not from me. I speak to you in love tones, lifting you up. My spirit convicts cleanly, without crushing words of shame. Let the spirit take charge of your mind, combing out tangles of deception. Be transformed by the truth that I live within you. The light of my presence is shining upon you in benedictions of peace. Let my light shine in you. Don't dim it with worries or fears. Holiness is letting me live through you. Since I dwell in you, you are fully equipped to be holy. Pause before responding to people or situations, giving my spirit space to act through you. Hasty words and actions leave no room for me. This is atheistic living. I want to inhabit all your moments, gracing your thoughts, words, and behaviors. The amazing thing about Christianity to me is that uh, it's it's the toughest altar call ever. Jesus says, Uh, hey, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. I'm getting ready to die. That's not an invitation that's very pleasant. Uh, Yet it's honest, and it's open, and it's real, and it's raw, and it's true. And I think when we move too far away from that and make people think that being a Christian means that Kool-Aid is going to come out of your water fountain and everything's going to be wonderful in your life, we're, we're, we're false advertising. The reality is Many times, God develops us through the crushing. Uh, God develops the world around us. And sometimes when you look for the good that's going to come out of the crushing, sometimes the good comes out of your children. It comes out of your environment around Mm -hmm. you. It's a witness to your neighbors. But there will be something good that comes out of it if you can resist the temptation to become bitter and take the more difficult choice of becoming better.
1: Bishop Jake's new book, Crushing, God Turns Pressure Into Power, is now available wherever you buy books. We'll be right back with more of the Jesus Calling podcast and our next guest, worship singer, songwriter, and producer, Don Moen, after this brief message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. Want a daily reminder that we can have hope, peace, and joy each day in Jesus? Now it's as easy as opening an email. The Jesus Calling daily email brings you a thought from the Jesus Calling family of devotionals every day. Brighten up your inbox with this little reminder and take a minute to connect with God during your day. To sign up to get your free daily thought from Jesus Calling, please visit jesuscalling.com daily dash email. That's jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. Our next guest is legendary worship leader and writer of worship songs, including the long beloved anthems, Give Thanks and God Will Make a Way, Don Moen. After three decades in ministry, Don's mission—in his own words—is to be an architect who designs products and events that help people experience God's presence in a new and fresh way. Don shares some of the life events that steered him toward being one of the forerunners of the Praise and Worship movement and what he's learned along the way, which he also details in his new book, God Will Make a Way, Finding His Hope in Your Story.
2: I'm uh, Don Mowen, a uh, worship leader, songwriter, husband of one wife, father of five kids, worked for Integrity Music 20 years, worship leader, songwriter, producer, music exec- executive, and and now uh, an author. <laughs> I was uh, raised way in the northern part of Minnesota. Uh, I uh, like to joke that there are Norwegians, Swedes, and other fur-bearing animals living up there. Um, my father was uh, confirmed in the Norwegian Lutheran Church. Uh, my mother uh, took us kids. We all got uh, saved at an Assemblies of God church. I mean, small town in northern Minnesota. So older brother, two younger sisters, and. Uh, and uh, just a small community. I was kind of raised in this tiny little church. Um, my mother uh, forced me to play the piano, uh, forced all of us kids to take piano lessons, and uh, and I hated it. You know, she forced us to sing in church. I hated that. But you know, it was a it was a good, it was a really good childhood. Music was all around us all the time. My mother was a piano player in the church. Um, I played uh, trombone and violin and, and sang with my brothers and sisters—an older brother and two younger sisters—and so that was that was life in uh, northern Minnesota. I actually um, g- got a scholarship uh, uh, playing violin at the University of Southern Mississippi, <clears throat> so that's what I thought I would do for um, the rest of my life. Uh, and I was studying music education. Uh, the uh, I didn't want to go to school. I wanted to join the Navy. When I was in high school, uh, all I wanted to do was be a, a airplane, a, a fly a fighter jet. That's what I wanted to do. But because I wore glasses, uh, they wouldn't allow me into flight school. So my backup plan was to be a forest ranger, just forest service, because I liked to hunt and fish and that made sense to me. Then I got this scholarship on violin. So I went to college and played in a lot of symphonies, a lot of uh, operas, ballets, and all that stuff. And then uh, that was getting boring to me, so I quit and um, went back to Minnesota, became a uh, lumberjack, started uh, logging in the north woods of Minnesota in the middle of winter and (laughs) with the roughest bunch of guys you'd ever want to meet. And uh, after a few months of that, I thought maybe playing violin isn't as bad as I thought. So I went and visited a friend at... At uh, Oral Roberts University, and um, auditioned on my violin and got a scholarship there, and and that's where I started uh, getting an interest in Christian music because those that's, that's a long time ago, you know, um, and I was back in the early '70s, so Christian music was contemporary Christian music was just getting started, so at that point is where I got an interest in Christian music and I joined a a touring group, a missionary evangelistic, a musical group called Living Sound. And that, uh, I got on the bus, told my family, I, I'll be gone, it'll be like a six month tour. You know, 10 years later, I got off the bus, so that was it. That's how I got uh, into the, into the whole music side of things. I did not ever try to be an artist. I never wanted to be an artist. I you know in some ways, I still don't want to be an artist. this this business of me being on a stage and being the focal point, uh, I, I'm an introvert. Um, my wife will tell you if we go to a um, party with lots of people, because of what I do on stage, people think I'm this extrovert guy. But if we go to a party, I'll say to Laura, What if somebody says hello to me? What do I say? She goes, just say hello, and it's like, so give me a one or two people, but oh my gosh, you know, a large group of people. But here I am on a stage all the time, and in front, in front of large groups of people. <clears throat> what people don't know about me is that I failed my speech class uh, at Oral Roberts University. There were I think fifteen or twenty students in the class, and I got an F because I could not. I missed my final exam because I. I just could not get in front of 15 people and give a speech. That's how petrified I was of, uh, of being in front of people. So the fact that I'm an artist at all is amazing. When Give Thanks came out, that was, I recorded that May of 1986. And it was released, I think, January of 87. And when we, when we recorded it, I, I don't think anybody really knew That it was going to that we were in the middle of something big. I remember Mike Coleman, uh, who's the president uh, and co-founder of Integrity Music, saying, "Don, this cassette could sell as many as fifty thousand units, and it sold uh, well over a million units." So I don't know that anybody saw that coming. We were right in the middle of um, a a huge. emphasis on worship. We just kind of were, we were just kind of swept up in that whole thing. And uh, boy, I look back on those days, I think what a what an honor to be in the middle of that. Well, in the early years uh, of integrity, you know, like w- we realized we were, this was a move of God. And, um, and the big challenge is once you start growing so fast, you know, when you have, we had a whole company then it was about 65 people focused on one product we didn't have multiple lines of product we had one product and it was called hosanna music and everybody was working on that one product and everybody was praying everybody is just believing the lord and it just like was taken off and then suddenly we have a very large company with a lot of money coming in people with operational skills come in and say now we need to control you creative people and and put parameters around what we do and how we do it and and i think that's that that's necessary it is necessary uh all the gifts need to come together but boy the the danger is trying to control and that's what happens a lot of times in a move of god yeah, people say uh okay now we're going to organize this so we can control the move of god and i think uh when it's a move of god you have to just kind of hold it open-handed and allow the Lord to do what He wants to do. And as, as, you know, there's human vessels, we need to just get out of the way and let God do what He wants to do. Uh, So that was a real real privilege to be involved in that, in in a genuine move of God. God will make a way, uh, has probably become one of my most recognizable songs. People associate that song with me. And uh, it was written for a uh, pretty desperate situation in my family when my little nephew was killed in a car accident, but it's not a song of desperation. You know, it's a song of declaration. God will make a way. Uh, My my wife's sister and husband had been heading to Colorado on a ski vacation from Oklahoma and their uh, van was broadsided by an 18-wheeler in the middle of the Texas Panhandle. Uh, Three little boys were seriously injured, and the oldest boy was eight years old, was killed. So there they were out in the middle of um, nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. And I get a call 10 o'clock at 10.30 at night um, from Laura's mom and said, there's been a terrible accident, Uh, Susan and Craig were involved in a wreck and Jeremy is dead. And uh, it's like, when I heard the news, I felt, uh, I felt so absolutely helpless. Uh, You know, you're hundreds of miles away. Um, What do you do? So all the scriptures come into my head, uh, all things work together for good. Uh, You know, there's nothing I could share that that would seem to bring comfort. I did call them in the hospital and I encouraged them. I had a big recording session scheduled um, on the West Coast the next day, and I would called to cancel the session, and um, they had already booked the orchestra and all this stuff, and I couldn't cancel it. I was so, I felt so, so uh, helpless and frustrated, so I got on an airplane, and I just, and the funeral was gonna be in a couple of days. So I was flying out to that session and uh, just reading from Isaiah 43 just praying on the airplane that God would give me something to say to Susan and Craig. That would be a word from the Lord rather than, hey, Craig, here's the scripture. Hey, Susan, believe, have faith. Uh, and on the airplane, reading from Isaiah 43, uh, verse 18 and 19, it says, uh, don't remember the former things. Behold, I will do something new, and now it will spring forth. I'll even make a roadway in the wilderness and a river in the desert. And um, And I wrote, down the words uh, to that song. I was sitting on the airplane to sing to them privately. I thought I would sing it at the funeral, but the funeral uh, happened and they wanted me to sing, give thanks. So that's what I did. And privately I got with Susan and Craig and I said, the Lord gave me this song uh, to, uh, for you and God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And here's the words I know that God gave me for Susan and Craig He works in ways we cannot see. He'll make a way for me. With love and strength for each new day, He will make. I knew there would be days after the funeral when everybody would leave and she'd walk into a closet and see Jeremy's clothes hanging there. And It's like, you know, uh, you, Susan, you just gotta believe that this, I know this looks hopeless, but um, you, you have to believe that that God is not finished with you guys and there is gonna be a life after this. So. so I just sang it for them privately and I put it away and never sang it again for a few years. And I was in Dothan, Alabama. How, why do I remember that? I was singing in Dothan, Alabama, and while I was singing, it's like the Lord brought this song back to my mind or my spirit, and I, I had to pull out my legal pad and look at the, I, I was flipping through these pages, and I said, I think I'm supposed to sing this song, so I sang this song, and it really had an impact on the audience, and in the next couple of days, there was a devotional, uh, weekly devotional at Integrity Music, and I, um, I thought, I'm gonna try to sing it to the staff. And about 65 people there. And I sang that song and everybody seemed to need that message that day. And they came up to me and said, where did you get that song? I said, I wrote it for a kind of private family, uh, or tragedy and they said, you need to record it. I said, I don't think I ever will. It was just for this special occasion. And anyway, eventually I did record it and now it's become probably one of my most well-known songs and the, and the, the title of my book. And I think, uh, the title of the book, God Will Make a Way, I think a lot of people look at that and think, uh, is there a chance that he will, You hope he will? People are going through a lot of challenging things, uh, whether it's a doctor's report or a, a financial situation, loss of a job, divorce, uh, death in the family. I mean, there's every th- any one of those things can throw you into a world of hopelessness. After 12 years of not being able to have kids, we had seven or five kids in seven years. So they were they're all teenagers together, and you just can imagine early in the morning they're 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 heading out to school. But I could never I failed miserably at being the father. Children, let's kneel down around the table and have a word of prayer. And it wasn't happening at the moment household, but Jesus calling worked, and and uh, and it's. The kids, if you ask any one of the kids, they probably still tell you of me shouting my own version of Jesus Calling devotional as they're getting in their trucks and cars leaving. Jesus Calling, don't worry about what you see. Trust in me, I am there for you. I'd make up these things anyway. It was just short enough and poignant enough to to read to the children before they headed off to school. That's how uh, Jesus Calling became a big part of our lives. Uh, in fact, uh, i just read one passage uh today this is from november 3rd i mean you pick any day this has something to do with uh just disappointments and people are you know they get a setback in their life and they begin to lose hope listen to this every time something thwarts your plans or desires use that as a reminder to communicate with me this is this is great because i can just hear myself saying this to the kids this practice this practice has several benefits the first is obvious Talking with me blesses you and strengthens our relationship. Another benefit is that disappointments, instead of dragging you down, are transformed into opportunities for good. This transformation removes the sting from difficult circumstances, making it possible to be joyful in the midst of adversity. Begin by practicing this discipline in all the little disappointments of daily life. It is often these minor setbacks that draw you away from my presence. When you reframe setbacks as opportunities, you find that you gain much more than you have lost. It is only after much training that you can accept major losses in this positive way. But it is possible to attain the perspective of the Apostle Paul who wrote, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, I consider everything I once treasured to be as insignificant as rubbish. And then there's the scripture, Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And Philippians 3, 7 and 8, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Uh, so, yeah, what a what a great word for us today—just a word of of, uh, of hope. When people go through different situations, a difficult situation, you want to say, "Have faith, have faith." Well, a lot of people don't have faith, but but hope. If they lose hope, um, they they lose everything. I've seen in my travels that that's the one thing uh, people need. And, and for someone who has never accepted Christ as their Savior, they first have to have hope that there's a chance for them. You know, hope that in spite of the way the checkbook looks, hope in spite of what the doctors said in the report, hope in spite of the loss of a loved one, uh, that, that tomorrow's a, another day. And that God is working in ways they cannot see. If if people can grab a hold of that one line, He works in ways we cannot see. I can just feel them grabbing on to that lifesaver, that little life preserver of of hope. And we we look at setbacks in our lives as uh, uh, you know sometimes as way too permanent. But God uses these uh, setbacks to uh, to to bring us to the place uh, where He wants us to be, to help transform us into the men and women He wants us to
1: be. Don Moen's book, God Will Make a Way, is available wherever books are sold. Next time on The Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk with Rich Wilkerson, Jr., pastor at VU Church. Rich descends from four generations of pastors in his family, including David Wilkerson, the writer of the classic Christian book The Cross and the Switchblade. Rich talks about how his early view of God shifted from judge to loving Father.
2: Ultimately, the way that you view God is going to dictate how you receive and communicate with God. And it wasn't until I was much older that I began to really discover who Jesus was. And I think in discovering who Jesus was, it's fully shifted my paradigm of who God is. That God is a loving Father. That He's not behind the bush waiting and watching as you make a mistake to punish you. But rather, He's there that when you do make a mistake, He wants to pick you back up.
1: Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live.